But one of the more annoying things is when you see an apple or a pear, maybe even a banana, and you've got it and you're really looking forward to, to eating it. And uh, you peel it back or you take a bite into it and it is seriously bruised. Or it's, the worst one is for me, an apple where it's all flowery. And you just go, you're just so let down. Well, why couldn't they have removed that when you first bought it so you wouldn't have to go through that? I, uh, I like fruit. I'd much prefer to enjoy chocolate. But... <laughs> I know the importance of fruit. So when I have a bit of fruit, I really want to enjoy it. And there's nothing worse when you bite into a, an apple or a, or a pear or you peel one of them back and you just notice they are seriously brown. And uh, as I said, it's a first world problem maybe for many of us. But uh, you look on the outside and it looks so good. But when you take a bite or you peel it back, it's anything but good. Today we begin a series that we're calling What's Under Your Skin, looking at the fruit of the Spirit. What's going on on the inside of our life that then comes out in our everyday life when it comes to these nine Christ-like characteristics that we read of in Galatians 5, verses 22. And this is what it says. It's written by Paul to a church in in Galatia. And uh, it says this, The fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When I started here 12 years ago, some of you were here when I first started. Not all of you, but some of you were here. You may well remember, this was the very first series I did. So I thought, well, this would be a good series leading to when I finish up. One, to encourage you, but hopefully, I'm sure many of you still remember it. (laughs) Thanks, Tom. One person. Do you remember it? Oh. (laughs) Rightio, let's start from the beginning. No. What I want to do this morning is I want to intro the series, intro it um, somewhat, and then we're going to finish with looking at joy. Now, I know love is first, but we're going to do love last. And when I get to heaven, I'll apologise to Paul. But we're going to do love last. As we start out, I want to do a little bit of an assessment that we did 12 years ago. There are a number of things that we do assessments on in life. We do a driving test, driving assessment. I'm sure some of you probably came across some people this week. Last week, you thought, you need to do another assessment. Well, I did anyway. We do vision tests where we get our eyes checked. Twelve years ago, my eyes were very different to what they are today. We get eye tests, we get work tests, we get study tests, we get cholesterol tests, we get blood blood sugar tests. We get all sorts of different tests, but sometimes I do actually wonder, we go through our whole lives and we very rarely do an assessment of our souls, where, where we are eternally. What's actually going on even on the inside of our life that then affects the outside of our life? How we go about living. In your care link this morning, you've got a little 
hand out like that. Love you to pull that out. Looks like that. Love you to pull it out. Now you've got a couple options with this. It's looking at these nine Christ-like qualities. Now you can keep that. You can throw it out. You can make it into a paper plane. Some of you, I'm looking at you. But I'd encourage you to go through this little assessment either today, tomorrow or in the next few weeks or even at the very end of the series if you like or you might even just want to do one at a time. For example, doing joy today. And here's how I want you to go about this little assessment. There's a little scale there. S stands for strong. P, pretty good. N, needs improvement. And I want you to just assess how you go in these different qualities, Christ-like qualities. Like joy. Let me give you a few little prompts. What's your current irritability factor? If you're not sure, ask the person next to you if you know them well. Are you more inclined to speak words of complaint or gratitude? Are you able to choose joy in times of frustration and even trials in times of difficulty? Even right now, are you trying to rationalise your lack of joy? Is it strong? Is it pretty good? Does it need improvement? What about peace? To what degree is your heart and mind at rest with God? Would people who know you describe you as being contented or discontented? What about patience? Are you already filled it out? Maybe patience might be something that might need improvement. How do you handle it when people aren't moving as quickly as you would like? How do you respond when you don't get your way? What about kindness? How inclined are you to lend someone a helping hand even though you're busy or you know you won't get any credit for it? How are you doing at encouraging and affirming people? What about goodness? What portion of your time and material resources are you actually giving? Not just thinking about giving, but giving. Do you ever find yourself wanting to give just the least amount? Is your heart to give growing or shrinking? What about faithfulness? Would people around you say that you're dependable? When you say you're going to do something, you get it done. Or do you put a spin on things to get out of things? What about gentleness? How often do you speak with speak the truth with grace? Do you ever get angry and inflict pain on someone just because it actually makes you feel pretty good? How do you go coming alongside somebody and offering comfort? Self-control. What about bad habits? What about impulses? How's your mouth doing these days in what comes out of it? What about love? 
How tender is your heart towards God and towards others? How do you go about engaging in servanthood? Love you to take the time to go through that. You might want to talk to someone about it or work it through with someone else or just keep it to yourself. When it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, it's the core, I believe, of what spiritual growth is about. People get all, all sorts of funny ideas about spiritual maturity and what it looks like, but spiritual maturity is defined at its core not by being a busy Christian. It's not by knowing a lot about the Bible. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Or piling up spiritual accomplishments. We know that Jesus, in his time with the Pharisees, who were the spiritual Spiritual leaders of the day. They did all those things and yet Jesus would say that they are the least fruitful of anybody. To grow authentic, biblical, godly, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, love, joy. That, that's the centre target. That's the kind of people... God wants to produce. That's the sort of people that God wants to see. That's the kind of people that God wants you and I to be. But sometimes, I've got to be honest with you, I look at those qualities and I'm overwhelmed at times how far I fall short of some of them. Here's a challenge. I read this this week, and it's a good challenge, and I want to give it to you. Nobody can develop your fruit of the Spirit. Nobody can develop your peace but you. Nobody can develop your joy but you. Nobody can develop your patience but you. Nobody can develop your discipline, self-control, love but you. I can pray for you. I can keep you accountable as best I can. But in the end, it comes down to you. Hence why I want to start the series this way. I want you to open your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. It'll come up on the screen. I can see it better on the screen than my Bible now. How am I going? How's my Bible? How's my eyes? I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as also I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from you, me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my word remain in you, ask whatever you wish. And it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit. 
showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. There's one thing the branch is supposed to do. Remain. Another translation puts it as abide. You know, I can stand up here and I probably might occasionally encourage you to be more joyful, more loving, more patient. But it starts most importantly by remaining in Christ. That is where it starts and where it must remain. And if we remain in Christ, fully remain, not just Sunday morning from 10am to 11.30am, it's great that we are gathered together, it's so important, absolutely, it's part of it all. But we are to remain in Christ fully all of the time, the fruit will come, it will come. It can't stop. But if I don't abide, if I don't remain, and I don't stay strong in Christ, then I'll never be fully faithful. It's like a little bit like the unserviced car. Some some of us are driving around right now. We drove here to church. Maybe some of us even sent it to the person we're sitting next to. We said, oh, we've got to get the car serviced. The air conditioner's not working. Whatever it might be, or it's not running smoothly. It's going okay, but it's not quite going well. Others of you, you're just astounded you got here this morning, isn't it? I don't know. But some of it's like the unserviced calf. We don't fully remain in Christ. We can't fully bear the fruit that he wants us to bear for him. Transformation, full transformation will never happen. I can't, I can't do it on my own. If you look in Galatians, and we, won't have, we don't have time to fully go back onto this, but you'll see a contrast that Paul talks about just before he mentions the fruit of the Spirit. And he says this in a few verses before, in verses 19, he says, I don't want you to be characterised, I don't want you to be characterised or marked by the works of the flesh, he says. And he lists them, things like envy, sexual immorality, he talks about jealousy, and hatred, a number of, of things. He says... Don't don't be marked by those those things because there's some serious consequences when you're marked by them. But rather, and you could think, well, he's going to say works here. Surely he's going to say the works here. It's about works, but he doesn't. He says, don't be marked by this. It's not about works, sorry, but be marked by the fruit of the Spirit. It's not about works. He also, if you notice there, one thing just before we look at joy that's really worth noting, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, not fruits, fruit of the Spirit. They're all one. We can't say, well, I'll do joy, but I won't do self-control. I like goodness, but I, but I don't like joy. I'm not into joy. It doesn't work like that. 
It's the fruit of the Spirit. But it starts by, by remaining in Christ, in the vine, all the time, and the fruit will flow, including joy. So let's look at joy for a few, minute, few minutes. Ask yourself, just quickly, in your mind, am I a joyful person? I find it hard to be joyful all the time, I'll be honest with you. There are times that I don't feel as joyful as I know maybe even I should be. It probably goes back even to how close I am to Christ as I think about that. But I'm guessing some of you may well know people that you just think, you're way too joyful. You know anyone like that? Okay, well, I know someone, maybe you guys don't. But there are people who think, we're way too joyful. When you're going through some more difficult times, rather than be joyful, you're actually thinking more, why is this happening to me? Joy can be the last thing on your mind. Those of you that do the um, Bible reading, uh, it's uh, an app called the Version, and it's called Reading Through the Bible in a Year. A number of us do it here in the church. And this week, you may have noticed that we're doing Job. And I thought, wow, what, what? here I am speaking on joy and I'm reading through Job. But it's an amazing story. If you don't have never read it, for some of you may never have read the story of Job. And just quickly, Job was a guy who was literally so clinging to Christ, to the vine, that, that, that Satan, the evil one, came to, to, to God one day and said, I can, I can cause pretty much this guy to draw himself way away from you. And Jesus, uh, God says to him, well, you, uh, you can do anything you want to him, anything except for take his life. And Job goes through what some would say is the most horrible thing you could ever experience. He lost his family, he lost his livestock, he got, he got covered in all sorts of horrible things on his body. He went through the most horrid time through the testings of Satan. And there's a point in it where this week I was reading this, these verses and some of the most staggering words you could really ever come across in the midst of all of his suffering. He's, and it says this in Job chapter 1, verse 20. It says that this Job got up after all this stuff had happened to him and he, and he tore his robe and he shaved his head. And then he fell to the ground to worship. And he said these words, Naked I come from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. And this is the real kicker here. May the name of the Lord be praised. Now, I, I, I can't put myself totally in Job's position with all of that happening, but I'm not so sure that going through all of that, I could find myself maybe saying those words. But for me, as I read that, I think, how close is this, this man to God? We'll look at a little bit further what also takes place near the end of what I want to say. But remember these words that we read earlier which Jesus said was just very close to him being tortured and put through a horrible death. He says, I've told you these things so that my joy might be in you and your joy may be complete. 
His joy, Christ's joy, which is so different from that of the world, should be our joy. You know, there are other kinds of joy found in other places, but a lot of those joys are temporary. People are searching for joy, but all that joy is temporary. But his joy is found in him alone. By remaining in him and remaining in us means that his joy will always be in us. But you've got to cling to the vine. You've got to cling to Christ. The disciples, as they were listening to these words, were about to go through their own trials, their own testings, and some of them horrible deaths. But he told them nothing could rob them of their joy. His joy, Christ's joy in them. Nothing can rob you of that too. In Luke 10, Jesus said this, Do not let your joy depend upon anything earthly or temporal, but let it depend upon the, that which abides, that which remains in heaven. Folks, I, I know how it works. We go looking for joy. It's not a, such a bad thing, but it's so temporary. People, people watch old grand final videos of their team to have a bit of joy. I don't know who they are, but they're out there. People, people buy the latest phones. They buy the latest things to give them some type of joy. We'll go to, go to this place. We'll experience this just to have some joy, but it's only temporary. Jesus says, do not let your joy depend upon the, anything earthly. Another remarkable scripture, as I've gone and looked into this uh, area of joy, is James chapter 1, verse 2. Where the true Christian joy is not only unaffected by adverse circumstances, but is actually promoted by trials and testings. James chapter 1, 2 says, Consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. You know, as I read that, I couldn't help but think of Paul and Silas. Paul, again, the guy who wrote much of the New Testament, his friend Silas, they were put in prison because of their willingness to proclaim their faith and to share it with others. Nothing was holding them back. And they were put into a prison, a horrible prison. They didn't have foxtails and double beds like we do. It was horrible. And Acts 25 says of Paul and Silas, though in great trouble, so they weren't in a nice little setting. It was, it was a horrible time. It was great trouble. But yet they were filled with Christ's own joy. And, and notice what it actually enabled them to do. It enabled them to sing praises at midnight. That despite their circumstances, despite where they found themselves, Christ's own joy that filled them enabled them to worship him, even in the midst of finding themselves in great trouble. You know, Paul, who wrote Philippians, he says in verse chapter 4, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Folks, I think joy is the main fruit of the Spirit missing among Christians. There are a lot of gloomy, 
gloomy Christians out there. And maybe they're in here too. Negative and joyless. Way too many. That doesn't mean, and hear this, that doesn't mean I'm saying, well, aren't I allowed to mourn? No, I'm not saying that. But there's actually no joy in you, quite possibly, in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Or, or there's greater joy found in somewhere else. I love this. In this book, Reason to Rejoice, Ray Steadman writes these words. The word joy is a delight in life that remains stable and durable even amid trials, pains and uncertainty. Joy is not a result of comfortable circumstances. It's the ability to find life worth living when circumstances are harsh and even nearly unbearable. Joy is a result of a secure and trusting faith in God. Christ-like joy should be the prevailing characteristic of the life of every Christian. Jeff Bridges' book, The Fruitful Life, writes that for many years the virtue of joy was not evident in his life. He would have considered himself a man of peace and felt he was seeking after righteousness. But he said this, Have, haven't given much thought to the importance God placed on the fruit of joy in our lives he realised he was lacking joy. He said, then I read Romans 14, 17, which says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He writes, I realised that God was not satisfied with only righteousness and peace in my life. Paul tells us that the kingdom of God is not just a matter of righteousness and peace. It is also a matter of joy. And there's a bit of a, of a kicker in verse 18. We learn that without joy, our life will not be fully pleasing to God. We should choose joy. Because as Christ followers, we have the privilege of having the joy in Christ given to us. So allow yourselves to be filled with his joy. We've got a reason to rejoice. Joy in Christ comes from his joy growing inside of us like a healthy fruit from a healthy tree. Maybe it starts for some of us, even before we think about joy, to be honest, it's re reattaching ourselves to Christ. That's where it needs to start. Let me finish up with three blockages that I see that can stop Christ flowing, Christ-like joy flowing out of our life. And then I want to finish with three things to when we choose joy. The first one is sin. The second is misplaced confidence. And the third is trials of faith. Sin, we don't use that word too much in the church. We don't use it much at all. But sin is real and sin is talked about a lot in the Bible and we need to be aware of it. It's real and it's the thing that separates us in our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the choices that we make that are not in line with God's ways. 
It separates us from Christ. It unattaches us from him. Sinful attitudes in our hearts, sinful actions block our fellowship, block our communion with God and take away joy. It's a joy blocker. Psalm 51.12 is when King David, for those of you that don't know who King David was, he was described as the man after God's own heart. King David was the man who had an adulterous affair. And in Psalm 51, David confesses his sin of adultery and he, and he says to God, God, restore in me the joy of your salvation. Restore it in me. If we want to display the virtue of joy in our lives daily, all the sin in our life must be dealt with. It's got to go. Some of us have held on to some sin for a long time. No one else knows about it, but we know about it. I, you know about it. It's got to go. It's actually a blockage to experiencing joy, the joy of and in Christ, and then that allowing it to flow out of our life. The second thing is misplaced confidence, putting our confidence in the flesh and other things. Several times we read in the Bible, rejoice in the Lord. The opposite of rejoicing in the Lord is rejoicing in ourselves. Look what I've done. Confidence in the flesh. flesh. That's actually a blockage. That can stop Christ-like joy flowing out of our life. My hope is built on nothing less. There's an old hymn that says that many of us know than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Our joy should find its confidence not in what we do, but in Christ. The last thing is the trials of faith. This, this can seem the hardest for me. I'm not sure about you. This can be a real blockage to, to joy. Look back on Job. Remember he said, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord God be praised. But, but he continued to go through trials. And at a point he said, It profits a man nothing when he tries to please God. Job's hopes begin to be worn out. But as you read through the story of Job to the very end, you notice God's faithfulness to him throughout all his trials. I'll put a little verse there, Lamentations 3.32, that says this, when we go through trials, and I know as I look out here today, I, can see, I know some of where some of you are at right now with some of the trials that you go through, and you're thinking, Joy, oh boy, I should have stayed home. This is hard. But I want to give you this little verse that says, Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. When we choose joy, here are a few things. The first one is this, confess your sin. Make yourself right, like David did. Cling to the vine and keep a kingdom perspective on life. And David touched on this when he introed before. But confess your sins just as David do. Let that weight be lifted off because God forgives. Abandon the attitude or action that separates you from the relationship that God wants to have with you. When we confess our sins to God, he is faithful 
and just to forgive and to restore us in our relationship with him. Just this past week, Son and I celebrated 26 years of marriage. You don't have to clap. And um, thank you, Haley and Amy. Um, no, Amy. Uh, but in all seriousness, in 26 years of married life, we've probably had two arguments, maybe. That's a joke, everyone. Come on, a bit of joy. Oh, my goodness, Sonny, that's serious today. Um, but anyway, when you do have a disagreement or an argument in your life as a married couple, I've learned, is that it affects the relationship. It does. When those disagreements happen. And no doubt, the joy is taken away from the relationship. Because there's, there's a blockage there. But here's the other thing that I've learned over the 26 years of married life is that when you are genuine with your apology, and it's normally me, to Sonia, to say, hey, I'm genuinely sorry for what I said or how I acted. I am, I'm sorry. I really am. That, you know what? All of a sudden there's forgiveness and, and things are made right and the joy returns to the relationship. That's been our experience. That's been our experience. And, and we, we cannot truly experience and show the joy that Paul and Jesus speak of if we're not, we're not in right relationship with Christ, if things aren't right with, with Christ and I, just like in the marriage. Things have got to be right to fully experience all that God intended for the marriage. And that's the same when it comes to experiences his joy and showing his joy. Clinging to the vine is the second thing. Cling to it. Stay close to it. You know, our, our, we just um, our, we got too, too, too many border collies, but that's another issue. We've got, two, we've got a border collie, and he's got this little bit of rope, and we play this game with him. And he puts it in his, we put it in his mouth, and our aim is to pull it out of his mouth, just to try our hardest. And we can, I can literally pull the dog up like this. I walk around with, with Max occasionally, just lift him up. He's just not going to let go of that bit of rope, no matter what we do. And you know what? Really, that needs to be our attitude in some ways with Christ. That nothing is going to separate me. Nothing is going to get in the way. I, there is no way known I'm going to let go of Christ. I'm going to cling so tightly, so strongly to it. So when the trials come, when the challenges come, when the temptations come, I'm clinging so tightly to it that that joy will not go away. I will continue to experience his joy. The final point, and David said it so well, but keep a kingdom perspective of life. If we're followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus here, there's going to be even greater joy coming. A day is coming. Where we're going to experience joy like we've never, ever experienced it in the presence of the living God forever. There's going to be eternal rewards. There's, it's going to be a joy like no other. Jeff Bridges reminds us of this. Let me finish with this quote. 
the purpose of joy is to glorify God by demonstrating to an unbelieving world that our loving and faithful Heavenly Father cares for us and provides all that we need. And as Paul puts it in Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me pray. God, may our joy, first and foremost, as we just read that quote, glorify you. We thank you that you are a God that that loves each and every one of us so, so very much. And I pray, as we know that, and for many of us we believe that, I pray that you would help us and we would have a desire that we would make a commitment to choose your joy in our lives in, in all circumstances. Even in the times of disappointment, even in the times of trial, I pray for each person here that if they are yet to follow you or put their faith in you, that, that they would choose to cling to you for the first time in their life. They would at least be willing to explore what does it mean to give my life to Jesus Christ, to put my faith in him and to follow him. I pray that they would be bold enough this morning to, to, to want to explore that or even to make that decision. And I pray for those of us that we sit here this morning and we say, yes, I'm a Jesus follower. That we would want to cling even closer to you. That we would not be willing to let go. May joy flow from our lives. We thank you for the words that are in the scripture. We thank you for the opportunity to be able to read them, to meditate on them. And my prayer, God, would be to live them out. Would we be, my prayer would be that each person here this morning, as they think about joy, may they be thankful that you want to fill them with your joy and that would in turn want them to have your joy flowing out of them in their everyday life. For I pray this in your precious name. Amen.